12, if you will, Romans chapter 12, and uh, we're hopefully going to finish verse 2 this morning. <laughs> we got three words and four words and a whole verse and a whole, ver you know, half a verse, so hopefully we'll get uh, verse number 2 finished up this morning. That's the goal, and uh, anyway, let's start reading here in verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we're back here to these two very foundational verses to the fourth section. And as we deal with the issue of the reasonable service, and again, this section and 12 to 16 is all about, it's the reasonable service uh, unto God. That's where we're at here. And then, again, back into how each other, the world, and so forth as we move forward. But it starts in these two verses. The issue here, the challenge, I, I Paul, I beseech you, uh, the challenge to be motivated by grace and, and not to get to gain, not to to, to uh, work it out in the energy of your own flesh, but rather just that issue of being motivated by grace and that issue of beseechment. And we've looked at it that where Paul is going to implore us kindly but yet forcefully to come along and to operate by the mercies of God. Look at that doctrine, that sound doctrine that we have, that, that issue of who we are in Christ, and have that be what motivates us. Rather than trying to get something, rather than trying to understand, rather than trying to, to uh, be the center of attention and that kind of thing, it's, it's, hey, here's who I am in Christ, and let's let that be uh, the, the motivation. And again, the issue of presenting, uh, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies, the, the presentation that willful, deliberate, uh, giving way to the life that we already possess. Now, again, not trying to, to uh, rehab it, not trying to rededicate it, not trying to redo it, because that is now we're working in the energy of our own flesh, but rather that issue of here's the life that we already have, let that be what then works out in us. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Uh, by the way, this is proper worship today. You hear everybody talk about worship. Here's this, these two verses is proper worship. Uh, worship isn't music only, you know, the worship service and everything. But here it is. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. That living sacrifice principle. And again, what that has to do with is the life that we're given, Christ's life, the life of Christ. We already possess it. We've already learned in Romans 6, 7, and 8 about our identity and who we are. We're dead. We're dead to sin. We're dead to the law. We're dead to the flesh. But what are we? We're also alive. The newness of life, that grace reign in life, the, the, the life that we live in under grace, not under the law. The li we're alive unto God. So then we let that be what possesses us. We let that be what works us out, holy and acceptable, uh, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed, but be ye transformed. And, and that issue of transformation, 
That's what he's talking about. And, and really, what uh, I used that illustration briefly last time about the caterpillar into the butterfly. The caterpillar will never be anything other than a butterfly. It's its DNA. It's its makeup. That caterpillar can't be a trout fish. Can't be an eagle. It's going to be a what? A butterfly. Why? Because that's the life that's in him. Now, when you look at that caterpillar, by the way, Fish like caterpillars. Put them on a hook, they'll get them. Okay? But when you look at that caterpillar, he's not a beautiful butterfly. He's an ugly green looking thing. Okay? But when he goes through his life, he comes out on the other side, that beautiful butterfly. But he's always going to be that butterfly. Don't be conformed. Don't let the world define you. But rather, what are we to do? We're to present that willingly, deliberate, thoughtful process of being who we are, that equipping that we have in, in Christ, and we, and we give way to his life. We give way to who we really are. So when, you come, when we're into this, we're, we're in the territory that, <laughs> when you think about Christianity as a whole, evangelism, evan- in- evangelicalism, blah, 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 okay, you, they have the cart before the horse. They've got you over here doing. I was talking to a gentleman one time years ago, and he was a part of a mega church, and he said, I, was, I got saved, and he goes, I know I was saved. I trusted the right gospel. I got saved, and I went to the church down the street, which was a mega church, and he said, they didn't teach me anything, and instantly I'm leading the small group. And I absolutely know nothing. And I'm like, really? He goes, yes. I go, how'd they do that? He goes, they handed me a book and said, teach this book. And it was some book written by some author. He goes, I didn't know. He goes, so I read through the book, but they gave a bad gospel, a works gospel. He goes, I knew that was wrong because I knew what? He goes, I only know, knew Paul's gospel. And here they get me. The, and I said, so what did you do? He goes, I quit. <laughs> I handed them back the book, and I never went. I, I got out, and then I started a lifelong search on the Internet and everything and found us, and he lives back east, so he, you know, he's never been here, but he's been here through YouTube and so forth. But the thing is, is what, what does Christianity do? They put the cart before the horse. What has Paul done? Eleven chapters of sound doctrine that we are to have learned. When you learn your identity, guess what you quickly do? You don't quickly go back over here and do something else, go back to your old ways. You are to embrace this life that we already possess, and here's how, here's who we are. Here's what are we to do. What are we to do? We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is what? Your reasonable service. Now, verse 2 is the how it is done, okay? Verse 1, here's the who we are and what we're to do. And in verse 2, here's how you're going to do this. Here's how, and that's why it's a, the issue of beseeching is so critical, that, that the imploring you to do, because when you beseech, he's not commanding you do this. He's saying, look, if the doctrine that you've learned is working, then this is what you're going to do, and you're never going to balk. You're never going to say, ah, you can't do that to me. By the way, if you say you can't do that to me, then what did you 
not do. You didn't learn this doctrine. Okay? You didn't come to a place where you can say, so what do you need to do? Stop, go back, and let's learn the doctrine again. Because what happens is, by the way, that's called growth. That's called renewing your mind. It's called, it, you don't get everything right the first time. You don't, okay? I do, but no, I'm just kidding. No, you don't do that. So the thing is, is what do you have to do? You have to go back and say, okay, I got it. I got what we're doing. Now let's go, let's fill in the blanks. Or when something comes up, that's why the greatest commentaries on the book of Romans is 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Galatians. Because what's happening in those two books? Reproof and correction, because what's happening? They didn't learn something in Romans. And they're over here doing, and Paul's like, no, let's go back, let's relearn the information, and let's. So there's a movement here that's happening. This issue of our reasonable service. And in these first two verses, the first component of our reasonable service is unto God. What does this look like? How do we get it? And that's what we've been talking about. It. Uh, come over with me just real quick. The, the idea, Galatians 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2 and verse 20. And this morning, we're just kind of have to, we're going to bounce between 1 and 2, but we're going to spend more time in 2 when we get down in this. But you, you, you just in how do I present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable? I do it by not being conformed, but being transformed. How does that happen? By the renewing of my mind. Okay? And that's what we're going to get at here. The reasonable service. Look at Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. There's Romans 6. What did Romans 6 tell you? Your old man's dead. You've been crucified. See that? Nevertheless, yet, nevertheless, I live. What did Romans 6 tell you? You're dead to the old man, but you're living over here. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness. Don't yield them back, okay? Then he says, yet, what? Not I. There's Romans 7. What do we learn in Romans 7? I try to do good. I can't do it. I try not to. I try to do what's bad. I do that instead. You know, it's, just, it's not me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? See, well, there's Romans 7. But Christ, what? Liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith. There's Romans 8. I live a life in this flesh, but I don't live it where? In, my, in, in the flesh, I live it in who I am in the Son of God. So that's the idea. Hey, we're being crucified, but yet what? We got a life to go live. So when you come back to Romans 12, that's what the holy and acceptable is about. What, when we give way, we present a living sacrifice. When we come in and we say, you know what I am now? I'm a caterpillar and I'm always going to be that butterfly and that's who I am. I am in Christ. That's who I am. The old man has been crucified. Boom, gone. I am never going to, I, uh, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? 
Romans 6.14. We live under, we don't live under the law, we live under what? Grace. Why won't sin control you? Because we're living over here in a new identity. So if sin controls you, you know what the problem is? You're not living in the new identity. You're living in your old identity. So you need to knock it off. Everybody, oh, that's just too simple. Well, what did, you don't need it to be brain surgery because you're pretty thick-headed. I'm thick-headed. I need it to be simple. That, you know, the hardest part in this is believing the word. That's the hardest part. Now, it doesn't mean you don't mess up and, you know, break, a, break something and fall apart and have an issue or a moment. It just says, hey, here's the deal. Now, 12.1, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, unto God, when we give way to his life, when we live our lives as who we are, who we really are, that is holy and acceptable to God. That's, it's that simple. See, our religious baggage reads things into these verses. When we talk in a minute here about proving the good and perfect and acceptable will of God, we've read stuff into that. That it, from our baggage, that isn't what Paul's after. What is holy and what is acceptable to God? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That you come over here and you live life as who you truly are. That's what's holy and acceptable. Not your service. We're not talking... Okay, the reasonable service thing... Uh, come over to 2 Corinthians 4. I'll get ahead of myself here. So let's just go to 2 Corinthians 4. Get the idea here. So what is holy and acceptable is the life of Christ operating in my life, in, our, in your life. That's what's holy and acceptable. That's what God wants to see in the life of the believer. So then when that happens, it's going to take on... the manifestation in your life where you're at, just as it does in my life. 2 Corinthians 4, look at verse 9, verse 10, sorry. Always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. If you have a problem with understanding what our body is, verse 11, for we which live are always delivered unto death, for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our, what? Mortal flesh. So we're talking about this vehicle. What are we to do? We're to manifest his life. You see, the Corinthians weren't doing that. They weren't living and operating in Romans 6, 7, and 8. They're operating over here in the energy of their own flesh, and what's Paul doing with them? He's correcting them, getting them back over where they need to be. So when you talk, come over to Philippians chapter 1. By the way, 2 Corinthians is a book of reproof. Philippians is a book of reproof. Reproof is about bad behavior. You're not behaving as who you are in Christ. You're not behaving according to the sound doctrine learned and communicated to you. Philippians 1 verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. That's what the living sacrifice is. 
presenting the life of Christ, who I really am, have that come out, whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live. See, what is Paul's thinking here? What's his mindset? For me, everything I'm doing... Now, Paul's in jail. The Philippians are... They're, they're having some emotional fits, so they're not operating properly. They're not behaving properly. They are adults, so he's having a conversation with an adult. And he says, look, guys, you have the improper thinking right now. You need to have the same thinking I have, which is who you are in Christ, living out in it, manifesting the life of Christ. No matter what's going on in life, you make the choice, the willful, deliberate choice to act and live like who you are in Christ. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It matters what? Your response to them. That's why he says, for to me to live is Christ. And my thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do verse 20. I'm going to manifest the life of Christ. And I don't care what's going on around. He's in jail. You know, he never prays that God would let him out of jail. He never prays that. Now, Acts 16, the, the Lord gets him out with a miracle. But he never sits... Paul, and I challenge anybody, I know we get listened to on the YouTube, you show me where Paul begged for God to deliver him from a situation outside of 2 Corinthians 12. And that's the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. And oh, by the way, as soon as he said it and God answered him and reminded him of what? His grace, Paul's tune changed. Okay? He doesn't say... Here, get me out of whatever it is. He just says, hey, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is what? What is the sound doctrine that Paul has learned? Well, he says it there in chapter 4, I've learned, I've been instructed that whatever state I am therewith to be what? Content. What is the sound doctrine Paul's learned? Hey, I'm to come over here and live life as who I am in Christ. That's who I'm supposed to live as. I'm to present my body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is my reasonable service. I'm to come over here and I'm to let the life of Christ live out through me. And that's the mentality that's reasonable. Okay? So when you come back to Romans 12, Paul is not talking about serving or being reasonable, being what, what would come natural to you. I've heard this. Well, your natural ability in service is I don't know, hospitality. He's not talking about that. Now, should we be hospitable? Sure. But sometimes some of us don't like to be hospitable, so guess what? We shouldn't be hospitable because we do it with, a, with an angst, you know, not a genuine wannabe personality thing, okay? But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about common sense. What would be the common thing? I've, I've heard this. Rick, people tell me all the time, you're a natural-born leader. I don't think so. There are days when I'd rather just be sitting in the back corner left alone. <laughs> personality, okay? 
But what is the, that, that's why that verse in Timothy where Paul talks about the bishops and they desire the office. The thing that makes you desire it, if it's the patent on the back and the attaboys, that'll quickly manifest itself as soon as somebody calls you with a problem. Paul says it, the care of the church is daily <laughs> at the end of a very long list. Well, if you're in it for the glory, you're going to hand that care issue off to the secretary. By the way, we don't have a secretary. Yeah, I'm the secretary. So, you know, but the thing is, my point is, is the reasonable here, it isn't what would be natural or what would come from common sense for you. He's, try, he's emphasizing the issue, Romans 12, to present yourselves to be who you are in Christ based on sound doctrine learned. You've learned who you really are. And that's the base, that's the mindset. That's that willful, deliberate, purposeful, I'm going to do this because that's who I am. Not because I like it or I enjoy it or I want to be. Okay? Sometimes that, that's not what Paul's talking That's why it's a reasonable service. Reason. Logical. Now, we could do the Greek study and logos and all that wonderful stuff. By the way, the word logos is the Greek word for reasonable, but it's also the Greek word for word. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the word working. You see, we're to present our bodies to be a manifestation of who we are, and where do we just learn who we are? Out of the word. And we're to have that word working in our inner man so then it will work out into our life. And if it's not, then what are we doing? We're working in the energy of our own flesh. And usually what happens then is failure happens. We, we used to have some folks here, and they cleaned the church building and uh, when we were down on baseline. And they were doing it out of the energy of their flesh. But it wasn't clear until some issues came up, and then all of a sudden it was like, well, we're not going to do that anymore. And I'm like, well, why not? Well, because we are. And I'm like, okay. It, they were, but that was their reasonable service. That's how they presented it to me. Well, no, they were doing it because they wanted the what? Accolades and the acknowledgement. And I'm the last guy to really give a lot of accolades. Okay, it takes, it takes emails and text messages to remind me of stuff. Okay, they didn't like that, so the energy of their flesh was manifest. That, that's why what Paul is talking here, that's why he's talking about this in chapter 12, not chapter 6, not chapter 9, not chapter 1. Why? Because there's some sound doctrine that we are to learn. Have the knowledge, get some understanding, put it into our thought process, and then let it work out into the details of our lives. That's why 12.2, what does he say? Be not conformed, but be what? Transformed. This is something radically different in a thought process. That's why verse 2 starts with the word and. It's an and of explanation. Here's how you're going to present yourself. 
here's how you're going to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here's how you're going to do it. And we're to have a renewed mind set. We're conformed. Be not conformed. Conformed. And we talked a little bit about this last time. We're not to allow the world to define us. A lot of things going on in the world today. And they're allowing the world, believers are allowing the world to define you, to define them, not you, but them. Paul says, don't do that. You know why? Because there's a problem in the world. There's a problem in the world system. Come over to Ephesians 4. There's a problem here that happens in the world, in the world's way of thinking. So when you think about the world and the the world system, really we need to be able to, to recognize what they're trying to do. And when I say they, we're not ta- I'm not talking about, you know, this exact person. I'm talking about the system, what they're trying to do to you as a believer. And what they're trying to do to you as a believer is to cause you to Depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. The system wants you out of the scriptures. The system wants you out of living life as who you are in Christ. See? Great. Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now, think about that verse. Who's the ye? Well, it would be the church at Ephesus. It would be the church, the body of Christ. In a broad, it would be you and I by extension of time. So what is the potential danger for you and I to end up doing? What these verses are going to warn us not to do. You see that? So when you think you've got all your stuff together, <laughs> and I would never do that, Pastor Rick. You know what Ephesians, and by the way, it does it several times through the book of Ephesians. It warns you. It says, eh, you better be careful, because guess what can happen? You can get into this stuff so quick, and you know what? You don't even realize it. Be not con- Formed to this world. Well, look at that. That you walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Vanity. Empty. Vain. Empty. Worthless. The world system is mindless. It has a mind that is devoid of truth. Devoid of God. Romans 1, 28. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge, so what did he do? He gave them over to a reprobate mind. Just flip back to chapter 2 here of Ephesians. You have to remind yourself of this. This is sound doctrine learned. This isn't a, a, by the way, the book of Ephesians is a great book of doctrine. So here it is, Ephesians 2, 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the, what? Mind. Now, when he says mind, he's not talking about your brain, the organ. 
He's talking about a thinking manner, a thinking process. And were what? By nature. Oh, there's that by nature thing. The what? The children of obedience and the children of loving God and wanting to serve God. No, the children of what? Wrath. The children of disobedience. The natural tendency of the Gentile, by the way, Romans 1 to 5, is what? Romans 1 to 3 is what? You're a sinner. That's who you are. So what does the world want to do? It wants to keep you a sinner. It wants to keep you in the lust of your flesh. It wants to keep you in the fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, the mindset. So when you come back there to chapter 4, verse 17, if they're able to operate, and by the way, they are able to operate. You look at the world, it does operate. But it's operating on a thinking process that says there is no God. There is no yea hath God said. We've, we've debunked it in our philosophies and traditions of men. Okay. Psalm says if man says there's no God, he's a fool. The fool has said there's no God. Hey, you, one day you're going to wake up and face him. You can have all of the theological wranglings you want. One day you're going to stand there in judgment, whether it's at the judgment seat of Christ or at the great white throne judgment. You're, it, the judgment day will come. That's that great thing in 2 Peter 3 about the delay. And the de why has, where's been the delay of his coming? You said it was coming. And, delay, and Peter says, hey, you better be careful. The Lord's not slack concerning his promises. He's going to lay it. Well, what, there's a thought process. And what Paul's doing here, we are to renew the mind. The world out there, be not conformed to the world. It's void of the mind of God. It's the void of the way God would think, his opinions, his values, his worth. It's empty. It's gone. It's, no, it's not there. So what are we to do? We're to renew. We're to be transformed. How? By the renewing, transformed. That, that issue of transfigured, we looked at last week when we went over to the mount. Tra transfigured. When the Lord was transfigured on the mountain there, what came out? Who he really was is what came out. What are we to do? We're to do the same thing. We're to transform. We are to, who we really are is to come out. Romans 6, 7, and 8. Romans 9, 10, 11. Who we are is to, boom, pop out. Transform. But how do you do that? By the renewing of your mind. By the way, notice it's renew. It's not rehab or renovate. When you rehab something or you renovate, we did the house. We did the kitchen. We did the floors. Keith was over several times fixing messes ups and stuff. We, when you, re, you know what you do? You, you take the original and you redo it, rehab it. But when you renew, that is the issue of changing by growth. It's not bring back the original. What is your original issue? Who, who are you originally? Are you a child of God or are you a sinner? Are you a child of disobedience? Ephesians 2. That's who you are originally. He's not talking about renewing that. Romans 6 says that guy's been crucified. 
He says, you need to come over here and let's grow some new stuff. Have you ever cut yourself and watched the scab and then watched the new skin grow? The old skin didn't grow. The old skin sitting on the thing you cut yourself. The old, the new, that's what he's talking about, renewing. He's talking about new growth. Let's have some growth here. I beseech you, guys, I need you, to, I need you to participate with me. Come over here. Be who you are in Christ. Have that grow into your life. Don't try to fix the dead man. We were up at the funeral home the other day. Linda and I were uh, finalizing some things that has come up and uh, in the they're selling packages you know how they like to do that and part of the package is to j- embalm the body and dress the body and I kind of chuckled inside I gotta be you gotta be real reverent in there they don't like our sense of humor Linda and I we have a morbid sense of humor about death because we know where we're at and what's going on so I mean we sit there and we cut up and they look at us like Poor guy one time when, when Linda's mom passed away, we, it was her and, and me and Joe, brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and we're just cutting up about mom. And the guy walks in and he goes, I am so sorry for your loss. And, and Joe goes, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and it was just in the conversation that we had been, and he just was like, oh, did I say something wrong? He got, it's like, dude, sit down, let's go. We got to get this done, you know. We got things to do today. Well, it's not being, you know, know, reverent that way, but we know where she is, okay? That dead man, you know where he's at. Don't go to revive him. The the lady wanted us to buy the package where you embalmed, but you dress the body. So why do you dress a body? For what? For appearance of viewing? Okay, fine, great it. I don't want that. Linda doesn't want that. Why? We're not there. We're going to have a memorial. We're going to have a big party, and off we go. We'll go over to Dave and Buster's and have a big shit. We're not doing, not really, okay? <laughs> I don't like Dave and Buster's. It's way too noisy. All right, we'll just have something calm and relaxing here, okay? But the thing is, is why do you do, what does the world want to see? The last accolades, the last boom. I tell you what, the best thing you could ever do is to write your own obituary while you're still alive. Don't leave it to family. Because they'll mess it up. You write it. Email it to me, and I'll make sure it gets printed. Because what can you say? You can say everything that you want to say. You leave it to family, and in the stress of the moment, because it is very stressful, things get left out. We buried Linda's Linda's grandmother, the kid's great-grandmother. We just did it the way we thought she would do it, and then two years later we found her her file that had all of her end-of-life wishes. And guess what? We didn't do anything she wanted done. We didn't know. She filed it, and we didn't know. And then we're like, well, Grandma, enjoy heaven, because <laughs> you didn't get any of that down here. You know, we, we, we did get her buried in the right place. None of that has anything to do with this. Back in Ephesians 4. The thing is, is the renewing isn't fix the old guy. The old guy is dead. That's sound doctrine learned. That's Romans 6, 7, and 8. Now, you know why Romans 6, 7, and 8 we spent so much time going through? It's critical to this. It's critical to the way you serve. It's critical to the way that you live your life. Romans 1 to 5 is wonderful. Gets you out of hell, saves you into eternity. That's wonderful. But man, the real stuff is in 6, 7, 8, and 9, 10, and 11, and 12 to 16. Why? Because now we're doing what? The life that I now live in the flesh. 
You're living. You didn't quit living when you got saved. I got, man, I got stuff to do. I got a guy to manifest. I have, I have a person of the Lord Jesus Christ to put out there. Dad said it one time, and I love the way he said it. There's to be a righteous, a, a, a righteous outbreak of the character of God in your life where you're at. Like, okay, what does that mean? It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. What am I to do? I'm to take who I am in Christ and live in that. And let that be. And no matter what you're doing in life, you bring him along anyway, you might as well give him a front row seat. He's there with you, so you might as well have his care. I want, so when he says renew your mind, I need you back in Ephesians 4. I want you to grow something new. I want, to, I want you to grow something that isn't naturally possessed. By nature, what are you? You're the child of wrath, the child of... Now you, we've got a new nature in you, a new man in you, and we need to grow that, and we need to starve that guy. Spurgeon said it. you got two dogs fighting inside of you, the old man, the new man. The dog you feed wins the battle. The dog you starve dies, becomes weak and less. 4.17, that you walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, so they're mindless, no, view, no divine viewpoint, no divine thinking. Even when they stumbled across it, Romans, 1, or Romans 2 said that even when the Gentiles just happened to do what the law required, said to not do, so they just happened to do the Ten Commandments, then that became a law unto them, but what? By nature, they, okay, they're still what? Sinners. Verse 18. Here it is. Having the understanding, what? Darkened. There's Romans 1. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Professing themselves to be wise, they became what? Fools. But you see, it's a, Ignorance, ignorance is a thinking thing. It's an understanding issue. Because of the blindness of their heart. And again, the heart is not the pumping pump. It's the mentality of the soul. What are they? They're not thinking the way God would intend them to think. What are they? How are they thinking? The adversary would think. They're darkened, spiritual darkness. They're not operating correctly that leads to verse 19 who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness man if you can't uncleanliness is bad but then you add the greed to it it's even worse their past feeling paul tells timothy that their conscience has been seared with a hot iron they there's no feeling. There's no interaction to that. The scab is on. Now watch verse 20. But ye have not so learned who? See that? Not so learned Christ. There's the sound doctrine learned. That's why I've been saying it all morning. Sound doctrine learned. You didn't learn, verse 17, 18, and 19, from Christ. You, who... Think about who are who you really are. When you go back to who you really are and you unleash that guy, you unleash that life, 
it's not going to be because of a natural thought process of, hey, this is the way. It's going to be because you have the mind of Christ now. You have a divine viewpoint. You have a thinking that's happening here. You have a learned. You have sound doctrine. Learn. And you know what Paul says? You didn't learn from Christ, verse 17, 18, and 19. You didn't learn that. Now, verse 21, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So we've learned because we what? We heard it. And the reason we heard it is that Christ did what? He taught us, but he taught us through who? Paul. See? We're not in his earthly ministry. By the way, you know in his earthly ministry, he never talks this way to that little flock? He, He never does. We're studying Mark, all of our gospel studies. He's never looked at them and said, you need to go live the life that you have in me. He says other things about it, but Paul teaches us. We've heard it. We've received it. Verse 22, that ye, what did we learn? What have we heard? What have we been taught? That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. There's a reach back to Romans 6 for you. You start with that foundation right, and you get into the advancement, you're not too far gone. And be renewed, verse 23, here it is, in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So what are we to do? We're to put off, by the way, we're not to rehab it. We're not to renovate it. We're not to improve it. What are we to do? We're to get rid of it. Putting it off is taking it to donation. <laughs> Yesterday with Lay, I got two bags, three bags, and a box. Going to where? Donation. Why? Don't get rid of it. Put it off. I, I can't take it. I don't want it. It's gone. Boom. Okay? Not rehab it. Not reinvent it. Not make it. But what are we to do? We're to put on the new man, verse 24. What are we to do? We're to renew. We're to have some growth, new growth. So when you come back to Romans 12, and he says here to renew your mind, we're to take the sound doctrine learned, and we're to allow that information to come in and to displace all of the old, all the bad, okay? I heard Alex Kurz one time use an illustration from a uh, a camp that they were at and someone else was doing. I don't remember who the other person was. And he took a pitcher of water and he set it on the table and the pitcher of water was dirty. It was disgusting. It had growth in it. It was black. It was just nasty. And the challenge was for the kids was how do we change the water in the picture without touching the picture, the container? How do you do that? Note takers. Okay? So what do you do? He took it outside, got a garden hose, took the garden hose, put it in the picture, and turned the water on, and eventually what happened? It forced the bad out. That's what renewing your mind does. 
What are you doing? Your mind's filthy. It is dirty as, an, as your old mind, okay? Not, not, okay? Clarify that, I guess. All right? As a sinner, your mind is worthless. It's vanity. It's dead. It's dark. And what are we doing? We're taking the life of Christ, and we're doing what? Flushing out all that old. And it's literally displacing that old. That's what the renewing of your mind is designed to do. You follow that? So when he says in verse 12:2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's where, that's where the battle is. That's where the struggle is. You think the struggle over here is the TV or the Internet or pills or drinking or drugs or whatever. Okay, politics, you name, you, whatever you think, the, that is not the struggle. The struggle isn't in that. The struggle is in what controls your thinking. Look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. You guys know we've talked about this ad nauseum, if you will. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. 2 Corinthians. So when we renew our mind, we're to take the sound doctrine learned, and allow that to displace the old way of thinking. Move it out. Clean it out. So, by the way, when that cleans out, you know what leaves? What gets moved out? All your old tendencies. All your old habits. You know, all of that mess that you thought was good is now what? Gone. That's why religion holds on to as much of the bad as it can. The lust of your flesh. Why? Because if it leaves, then what's out of you? The religious thoughts are out of it, so now they've lost control, dominion over your faith. 11.3, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be, be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. So if it's complex, then it's not what? Simple. Flush out the complex. And let's stay in the simple. The world, the old man, is mindless. And what's it trying to do? It's trying to corrupt the simplicity. Now, how did Eve, how did Satan get Eve? What did he do? He said, yea, as God said, and then he took her, and he took her eyes off of who she was in Christ and put it over here on something that was Mindless. And then when she saw, again, saw, visually stimulated, she's gone. By the way, Adam too, okay? Man was gone. But what did he do? He didn't have to come in with some complex algorithm to get her. He just came in with a simple statement that rather for her to say, yeah, no, God didn't say that. His word said, by the way, let's go look the verse up. He said, no, yep, ooh, yeah, that's right. And you know what he showed her? He showed her something new that wasn't new. But he showed it to her in a new light. Come over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. You see, we're to renew our minds. We're to renew that thinking process. We're to renew... That process of thought, 1 Timothy 6, great passage here at the end of 1 Timothy, verse number 5. We're just going to kind of jump in. Um, 
well, verse 3, if any man teach otherwise, okay, and the otherwise will be the whole, and consent not to the wholesome words. So the otherwise, that's chapter 1, they're the sound doctrine and the, the sound words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrines which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words, whereof come envious, strife, railings, envil, surmising, perverse, disputing of men, of what? Corrupt minds. And what? Destitute of the truth. So if someone comes along and they're not preaching sound words or wholesome words or sound doctrine, then what, it, what ultimately are they? Destitute of the truth. But how did they get there? Corrupt minds. An improper thinking process. By the way, Paul says, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. That, you know, withdraw yourself. That means you sit here. That means you have to have the sound doctrine learned and it functioning properly in your life to be able to recognize the mindlessness of this to then do what? Walk away. Follow that? That's why Romans is so critical in our thinking. So when you come back to chapter 12, that's why we're doing this. That's why we're spending four weeks on two verses. Because this stuff is so vital, because now we're going to get into the will of God, and we're going to get into proving it, and we're going to get into working this thing down out in our life. And I'll be honest with you, if you don't have verse 1 and 2 squared away, the rest of it, you're wasting your time. It is not beneficial until you get 1 and 2, which requires you to get chapters 1 through 11 squared away. So if you're struggling with your identity and who you think you are, by the way, if you think you are Israel, you're going to struggle with this. That's why 9, 10, and 11 are there. If you think you are whatever, replacement or this or that, you're going to struggle. And it's not going to be anything that anyone can tell you. That's why in 2 Timothy 2 there, when he says, hey, they have to rescue themselves. They oppose themselves. Your, your job's just to teach, keep it out there. They're the ones that have to come back. It's not my job to chase you down and try to fix you. My job's to preach the truth. Okay? You're, my job's to lay it out there. And if you reject it, you reject it. I, there's nothing I can do about it. Now, watch verse 2. <clears throat> the end of the verse. Uh, by the way, verse 2, here's how verse 1 becomes a living reality in your life. You're not conformed. You're not being defined by the world system. You don't fall victim to corrupt thinking. You're not destitute of the truth. By the way, that issue there, destitute of the truth, of, of really who you really are. Rather, we're to take the truth and we're to allow that to grow in our thinking. And we're to grow in it. And we're to allow it to come and then, and then infiltrate every part of our life. That's what we're doing. So that, the end of the verse, and, I'm sorry, that ye may, that, see, purpose, intent. Why do I do this? that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, from this point forward in this last section, Paul is going to teach us and we're going to be taught what the will of God is. 
And I know what happens. Everybody says, well, here's the good, so that's step one of God's will. Here's the acceptable, that's step two. And here's the perfect, mature, that's step three. And yes, well and good, but that's not what Paul's talking about. What is good? You, what is, God's will, what part of God's will is good? Now, think about this. In Genesis 1, in the creation, look back there. We're going to be a little over, but Genesis 1. I want to get this done so we can go move on. Genesis 1. Look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. See that? So in verse 4, he does some things, and he says what? It's good. Verse 10 again, and it was good. Verse uh, 12, and it was good. Verse 18, and it was good. Verse 21, it was good. Verse 25, it was very good. What is good here? Well, the will of God had a purpose in creation, and what was, the, what was the result of it? It was good. It was good in that it matched the purpose of the will of God. It wasn't good in that he put four leaves instead of three leaves, or, or you know, one tree branch went this way and the other tree. It, it, that's not the good. The good is, is that when God... His will, the purpose of his will, was to create, it's what? It's good. It had a purpose. It was worthy to be considered. When God created, go back to Romans 12. When God created, he looked over at the blueprint, Proverbs says, and he says it's good. It matches the purpose. It matches the plan. That's the idea when he says, what is good? What is the purpose? What is the plan of the will of God? It's good. The will of God has a purpose. It has a plan. So what is it? It's good. And then acceptable. Well, if it's got a plan and a purpose and it's good, then it's worthy to be what? Accepted. By whom? By us. By you and I. That's who he's talking to. I beseech you. You're thinking. You're renewing your mind. So what is good? He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got a will. And you know what? It's worthy for me to accept it. You with me? Got to think. Again, we're thinking outside of that religious box we've always been told, even by grace preachers. It's acceptable. So if it's good and it's worthy to be accepted, then what is it? It's perfect. Okay? God's will is good in that he has a purpose and he has a plan. Therefore, it is worthy to be accepted and to be believed and to be followed. And if I accept it, then there's going to be some perfection that's going to happen there because it, his will is being accomplished. And it's being accomplished in that what is, he, what is his will, of, what is the will of God, what is the design to do, what is it designed to accomplish? Some growth in your soul. I'll illustrate it for you. Verse 19. Just, you're looking at me like, huh? Look at verse 19. Yeah, huh? <laughs> Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather... 
give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. What does your old man want to do? Get the vengeance. They wronged me, so I'm going to wrong them back. But what is the will of God? Don't do that. Now, this is an enemy. Therefore, verse 20, if thine enemy hunger, what? Feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. So what is, the, what is the will of God? Now, we'll get in here. We'll study all this out in more detail. But just to illustrate this, what's the will of God concerning our enemy here? Don't do what your old man wants to do, which is nail him. But rather, let's do something else. Let's feed him. Let's give him something to drink. And it'll work. But where does it work? Not in the enemy. It works where? In you. You follow that? Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself. What are you trying to do? And get revenge. Get even. Because that's what I want to do. That's what my old man says to do. But, and, but what, is God, what does God's will for you say? Uh-uh, I'll get him. But let's, I want you to have a different mentality about the guy. I want you to feed him. I want you to give him something to drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire. There, there's good, you think about that. Here's a guy that's your enemy, and they're, they're, all they're designed to do is to hurt you. So you think. Again, our thinking is, and then you come in, and they're railing on you, and you, and you say, hey, and, and you hit them with a smile and a thank you, and you hit them with something that's not, you're not returning the grief. What happens to them? Uh, well, what could happen, I should say? What in the world's going on? It's not working. <laughs> and they calm down. Or it ratchets it up the other way, and what does verse 21 say? Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, Rick, you know, we're just being weak. No, that's your flesh saying that. What does the will of God say? The will of God says, this is what I want you to do. Here I am. I'm renewing my mind. I'm putting on sound doctrine learned. And I've got to face this enemy. And you know what God's will? It's good. Hey, don't, don't get vengeance. I'll get him. What I need you to do is feed him. What I need you to do is thirst. I need you to come in and have a different attitude. But that's, it's all attitude. It's all thinking here. It isn't the activity. It's the thinking about it. Because ultimately, and, and this, again, gets into the, about the lost and everything, what do we want to see with the lost? That they get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And if I got a guy sitting in front of me and he's my worst enemy, and I'm sitting here not being meek and rolled over, but I'm not returning the attitude and the fodder, then event, one day I might get a chance to do what with him? Hey, have you ever thought about getting, you know? And he would, he's going to do what he's going to do. It's worthy to be believed. It's worthy to work out. It's worth, so I put it into my thinking. So when you think about this issue of good, acceptable, and perfect, he's not talking about step one to step two to step three. He's saying, look, guys, 
when you're renewing your mind and you're thinking down through this, the will of God is good. We're to do it. It's got a purpose. It's got a plan. Therefore, we are to accept it. We're to obey it. We're to enjoy it because it's going to produce some maturity in our inner man, the perfecting issue. But the hick, the, the lynch is the word prove. Because Paul says, now let's go prove it. Okay? And how we're going to prove it is we're going to put the will of God to test in the actual experiences of our life. That's how we're going to prove it. We're going to take what the will of God, again, because now we're going to be talking about the will of God. We're going to take the will of God, and we're going to sit over here, and we're going to say, let's see if it really will work with my enemy. All right, God, your word says, don't avenge, but do this. Let's see if it really works. And there he comes. And what do you do? You don't punch back. You say, hey, okay, you're good. You're right. I'll, I'll do better. Or whatever. That's the proving. What is the good? You follow that? What's the will of God? Let's prove it. We know it's good. We know it's acceptable. We know it'll bring maturity to our inner man. But let's go prove that bad boy in life, in action. So then when I go on the job, just as a job, what is my attitude to be? Ephesians 6, there's the will of God. It's to have a positive attitude. I'm not here to please the men and men servers. I'm here to take care of who I am in Christ and to put that on the display. I'm renewing my mind. I'm presenting my body. I'm doing all of this. So now let's see what that looks like. All right, Lord, your book says it. Let's see what it looks like. Let's prove it. And you know what it will end up proving? To be good, acceptable, and perfect. And it'll be proved right at every turn. Yeah, but Rick, you just don't know. No, he does. He says it this way. Quit fighting it is how it's to be done. So let's prove it. I'll put the will of God to the test of practical experience in my life. I will demonstrate in my life as a living sacrifice, transformed and renewed in my thinking process by doing what the will of God has for me to do. And the illustration here of my enemy, what is my enemy? What am I to do with my enemy? I am not to in, uh, in, uh, get revenge or retaliation. I'm to come over here and to treat them this way. So let's see if that works. Do you follow that? When he, so when he talks here at the end of verse 2 about the will of God, he's not talking about, so you can look there and say, well, that was good, but this is better, and let's do this. No, it's... It's a, hey, it is good. I'm going to do it. It is acceptable. It is worthy to be believed because I know it will produce, so let's go prove it. See, the, lynch, the, the key word is prove, not good, acceptable, and perfect. The key word is prove. Let's prove that God's will has a purpose in life. Let's, how do I do that? Well, I go over here and I get in life and I prove it out. But what does that mean I know? I have sound doctrine learned. And if I don't have sound doctrine, then you know where I'm at? I'm over here at baby step trying to think in the baby department. We're not. We're sons of God. We're, a dear cho We're adults. That's who we are. Okay? So, picking up in verse 3 now, next time, we're going to start getting into reasonable service in other areas, but we're also going to be talking about what the will of God is in those areas. And when we do that, what happens is, is all of a sudden we find out that, hey, 
the better thing for me to the good for me boom is there you know, in Philippians 1 when he talks about that your that love that your love may uh, grow in all wisdom uh, uh, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent actually approve things that are excellent there that's what he's talking about Hey, it's all good. Is, is Bible study good? Yeah, but Bible study on the job isn't good. Because <laughs> what am I supposed to be doing? My job. See, unless it's lunch break. But my job. So then let's, then that's the issue here, okay? You think about it. We'll talk some more about it as we go. But that issue here of beseechment, I, there's not a demand. There's not a command. It's a, hey, you ought to be. It's a, kindly but yet forcefully imploring you let's get into the sound doctrine we've learned and let's let that live out in our life and when we do that we find out that that is good acceptable and perfect there's a growth pattern here a renewing pattern that we're to have and we're to let that be what rules the day okay okay I see on your faces that you've got to think this through so do all right all right Dear Holy Father we thank you for the morning Lord we thank you for your word Above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your son. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.